invite you to please rise for the call to worship. The call to worship is from Psalm 73, verses 25 through 28. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, how wonderful, glorious, amazing you are. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We thank you for the Holy Spirit bringing your elect from death to life, giving the gifts of repentance and faith and salvation. Oh, Father, we pray that you would enable us to give you all praise, glory, and honor now and forevermore. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to sing with me number 216 in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. 216, praise to the Lord the Almighty, the King of creation.
For a time of confession of sin and pronouncement of pardon, I'll be reading from Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I'll first be reading Colossians 3. Verses 12 through 15, leading us in a prayer of confession, and then continuing on with Colossians 3, verses 16 through 17. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, you are holy, holy, holy. You are just, you are merciful. Everything you do is right, true, perfect. 
Your ways are not our ways. Your ways are higher. Your timing is not our timing. Your timing is always perfect according to your sovereign purpose and plan. So, Father, we confess to you those times over this last week when rather than seeking your will, discerning what pleases you, we found ourselves in pride or selfishness, seeking to seek our own glory rather than your glory. Father, we confess to you those times over this last week when we did not display kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. When it was hard to forgive. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that because of the sacrifice, death, resurrection, of your son, Jesus Christ, that we can come before you clothed in his righteousness, washed in his blood. And we can confess to you those sins of thought, word, and action over this last week, knowing your grace and mercy. So Father, again, we take this time to confess to you those sins in our hearts and in our minds. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Know this. That if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've been given the gifts of repentance and faith, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, know this, that you have been forgiven. You have been pardoned. All your sin has been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. You are loved by your heavenly Father. In Christ's glorious name, amen. For a time of confession of faith, we are continuing on in the Canons of Dort. And for this morning, we are looking at 
The third and fourth main points of doctrine, human corruption, conversion to God and the way it occurs. We're looking at Article 2 of the third and fourth head of the Kanzador. In particular, the spread of corruption, the truths of total depravity. So I invite you to follow along in your bulletin. Article 2, the spread of corruption. Man brought forth children of the same nature as himself after the fall. That is to say, being corrupt, he brought forth corrupt children. The corruption spreads by God's just judgment from Adam to all his descendants, except for Christ alone, not by way of imitation, as in the former times, the Pelagians would have it, but by way of the propagation of his perverted nature. As we can see, based on the truths of total depravity, we are absolutely dependent on the sovereign grace and mercy of a holy, loving God to save us who were dead in our trespasses and sins. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you that because of your son, Jesus Christ, we can boldly come before your throne of grace. Not because of our righteousness. Not because of our holiness. But because of the righteousness and holiness of your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, how amazing is your son, Jesus Christ, our high priest, our prophet, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the atoning sacrifice, the Messiah. Oh, Father, we pray that you would continue to grow us, guard us and guide us in our faith, that your son Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up, that you would fix our eyes on your son Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd continue to grow us up in the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord, for we are weak, but you are strong. Father, we pray that you'd continue to strengthen and guide us in your word, in your truth. Sanctify us in the truth. Help us, O Lord. Father, we pray that you would help us to live more and more according to the Holy Spirit and less and less according to our old fallen flesh. Oh, Father, we pray in your continued grace and mercy that you would strengthen us and grow us in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, Father, we pray that you continue to strengthen us and grow us to give you all glory, all praise, and all honor. Father, we pray that you would help us to live lives of gratitude and thanksgiving. For not only have you made us, but you have saved us in your grace and mercy. So, Father, we pray that not only would you strengthen us, but that you'd strengthen our church. Father, we pray that you would help us Help us to be of one heart and one mind 
striving side by side for the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, crucified. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Father, we pray that you would help us grow our love for you and grow our love for one another to encourage, to correct, to rebuke, to exhort one another with all patience and love, building each other up, spurring each other on. Father, we pray for those who are in positions of authority over us. We pray for our elders. Father, we pray that you continue to strengthen and guide them, grow their hunger and desire for you, and equipping the saints for ministry. Father, we pray, we pray that you'd strengthen our families. Oh, Father, we, we pray for all the families represented here. Father, we pray for the marriages, that they would display Ephesians chapter 5, Christ in the church. Oh, Father, we pray that you would grow our picking up our cross and following you, dying to ourselves. Father, we pray for the children grandchildren, great-grandchildren, oh Lord, that they would know you, that they would love you, that they would serve you with their lives, that you, O oh Lord, would bring them to life, giving them the gifts of repentance and faith. Father, we pray that you would help us to lift them up in your word, to instruct them in your truth. Father, we pray for the lost. Oh, Father, whether it be family or friend, co-worker, acquaintance, people you've brought into our lives. Oh, Father, we pray for the lost, that you would bring them from death to life, that you'd give them eyes to see and ears to hear according to your purpose and plan and will. Oh, Father, we pray that you would use us to proclaim your gospel. Help us, oh Lord, to be bold, to speak your truth and love, to persevere with patience. Oh, Father, we pray. We pray for those who are in authority over us. Father, we pray for the president and his administration. We pray for our governor, local county commissioners and leaders. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd give them eyes to see. We pray for wisdom and understanding. Father, we pray for peace. Oh, Father, where there is in our culture and in our world a continued suppression of the truth, a trying to put out the light, Father, we thank you that the darkness will not overcome the light. So, Father, we pray that you will help us to shine the light of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for wisdom and guidance. Father, we continue to lift up to you those who are in a time of illness, a time of, of suffering. Father, we do continue to pray for, for Marcia. We thank you, O Lord, how you continue to hold her in your righteous right hand as she continues on in the memory care center. Father, where she may be weakening physically, you continue to fix her eyes on your son, Jesus Christ. What a glorious testimony of your loving care to your saints. So, Father, we pray that you continue to be her strength, her hope, her peace. Father, we thank you also for, for grace, how you continue to be her strength, her peace, 
how you continue to fix her eyes on you throughout this time of hospice care. Oh, Father, how wonderful you are. Father, we do continue to pray for for Wendy's mother as she is in recovery from her hip surgery. Father, we pray for her sister-in-law as she continues her cancer treatments. We pray for her brother Andy. That whole family, oh Lord, in the midst of these difficulties and suffering, oh Lord, that their eyes would be turned to your son, Jesus Christ. That they would know him as their only hope, their only peace, their only strength. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your amazing, loving care. It is because of your care for us each and every day that we say the prayer that our Savior taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I invite you to please rise and read with me the passage of Scripture we're looking at this morning. We are continuing to look at the Gospel of John throughout this time leading up to at Easter and now these few Sundays after the celebration of Easter. So this morning we are looking at John 20, verses 19 through 23. John 20, starting at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is a source of life for those whom the Holy Spirit brings from death to life. Faith comes through hearing, hearing your word. Oh, Father, we thank you. Your word is living and active, all authoritative, all sufficient, inerrant, and infallible. Oh, Father, we are absolutely dependent on the work of your Holy Spirit to give wisdom and discernment. Oh, Father, that you would grow us in the truth, for to know the truth is to be set free. In Christ's glorious name, amen. You may be seated. 
I'd like to invite, if there are any children who would like to, you want to come up to the front row for the children's message. Good morning. How are you? Have have you ever been very afraid? Have you? Very afraid? Yeah, there's been times I've been afraid of a bear. Of a bear? There's been times I've been afraid of a bear. I've done some hiking and camping where I could hear hear the bears nearby. So yeah, so there's lots of things we can be afraid of. What helped you when you had that fear? What helped you not be as afraid? Did anything help you? Yeah, what helped you? Wonderful. So even though you're afraid and that, when you remembered that God is with you, that he's always with his children, those who know and love his son, Jesus Christ, that comforted you. Because if you know God is with you and he's for you, he's stronger, he's bigger, he's greater than anything else, anyone else. Very good. That's wonderful. Because that's what we're going to be looking at in the passage of Scripture. Jesus' disciples are afraid. They have lots of fear because Jesus has died. And the only thing that comforts them is when Jesus comes and makes clear that he is alive and he will be with them forever through his spirit living in him. So that's where when we look at this passage, I want you to think of what it is to trust and believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that we fear nothing if we have Christ as our Savior. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, goodness, and love. Father, we pray that you would help us. Help us to only fear you, knowing your love and care for us in your son, Jesus Christ. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. You guys head back to your seats. So as we continue through John, John chapter 20, we're looking at this passage of scripture, John 20, verses 19 through 23, 19 through 23. This is a vital, important passage of scripture. If you ever wonder At any point of your life, if you're a Christian, if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've been given the gifts of repentance and faith, if you belong to God, and you ever have a moment wondering what is the purpose of your life, what should you be doing, well, the answer is here. Isn't that great? So the answer in this passage is verses 21 through 23. You need not wonder anymore. Read these verses. 
memorize these verses, pray these verses, and by God's grace and mercy, live these verses. This is the whole purpose. If God has you continuing on this heaven and earth, if he hasn't taken you yet, verses 21, 22, and 23. So, but before we get to that vital reality, we have to deal with fear. Fear. So John chapter 20, verse 19. Let's look at this first verse in our passage. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week. So this is Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Jesus has been raised from the dead early that morning. Mary Magdalene has seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. And Jesus sent her to tell the others. And they did not believe her. So they are as it says, on the evening of the day, of the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So they are overcome with fear and terror. They have locked themselves in this room and they are paralyzed there. So I want you to go back to Matthew 10. Matthew chapter 10. This is a vital, important passage about fear. So as we look at Matthew 10, it will help us understand how, you, how we as Christians and how the apostles could get from verses nine, verse 19 to verses 21 through 23. That's what has to take place for every Christian. To get beyond verse 19, by God's grace, mercy, and love, and get to verses 21 through 23. So we have to look at that process. So verse 19 is one where they are locked in and they are overcome with fear. Fear of the Jews, fear of men, fear of the powers of this earth, fear of imprisonment, and fear of death. And it has paralyzed them. They are in that room and they are afraid. So Matthew 10, we have to see this teaching that Jesus did when he sent out the apostles early on in his ministry. And all of Matthew 10 was preparation for this moment in John 20 and what G, how Jesus is going to send them as we will see the fulfillment in Acts chapter 2. So Matthew 10, starting at verse 16, verse 16. This is Jesus speaking to the apostles. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and be innocent as doves. Verse 17, beware of men for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. 
What's powerful about Matthew chapter 10 is you have the ascending of the apostles, but everything he's teaching them here is not going to be fulfilled and take into effect until Pentecost, until Acts 2. Once the Holy Spirit has come, indwelt, and you have Peter proclaim, and you have the apostles go forth. So Matthew 10 is preparing them for this ultimate fulfillment. Again, Matthew 10, verse 21. So this is what Jesus is warning the apostles. And all of the apostles, he's warning those who would trust and believe in Jesus Christ through their writings, through the scriptures. So this warning is for Christians. Verse 21 of Matthew 10. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child. And children will raise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house, Jesus speaking of himself, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So in Matthew 10, Jesus is preparing the apostles. He's sending them out, and they will come back to him. And he's doing this as a training and a teaching and instructing for the ultimate sending them out that we're going to see declared in our own passage. In Matthew 10, Jesus just told them that they will be beaten, they will be imprisoned, they will be tortured, they will be dragged before authorities, People in their own households will hate them and try to kill them. They will be maligned. They will be hated by the real. They will be mocked. They will be persecuted. They will be scorned. And many of them will face martyrdom. That's what Jesus tells them. And after telling them all those vital truths of what it is to die for Christ, pick up one's cross Matthew 10, 26. This is the response that he is saying we are to have to all that hatred, persecution, opposition, and threat of our life. Verse 26. So have no fear of them. That's it. Have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you, have heard, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body that cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There's only one who can do that. The all-sovereign Lord, that's who he's saying there. 
Verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So we see Jesus tells them of possibly facing the most horrific persecution, opposition, hatred, imprisonment, mocking, and martyrdom. But he continued to say, but do not fear them. Do not fear them. Do not fear them. And that works when Jesus is alive. That's, that works when he's alive. But what happens when he's dead? So that's what the disciples were facing. Jesus died. He was crucified. And he was buried, and they know that he died. And he's gone. There goes any hope, any courage, any peace, any life, everything. When Jesus died, they thought there went everything. So all they had left to do was fear the Jews, fear man, fear the world, because Jesus was gone. He was dead. So that's the context Jesus enters into in John chapter 20. So again, John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, as all they had left was fear of the world, of men, of the Jews. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. There it is. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. The disciples were glad, overwhelmed with joy and rejoicing. The fear was replaced with a joy and a peace that's beyond comprehension. See, that's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That's what Jesus continues to do for those who trust and believe in him. The fear is replaced with joy and peace and rejoicing that he's alive. And that in him there's eternal life. And that now, because of his death on the cross, for those who trust and believe in him, our sins have been paid for. The wrath of God that we deserve has been satisfied so that now we are loved by our heavenly father. We have salvation, redemption in the son Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ dwelling within us, with us forever and ever and ever. That's why Jesus says to them, peace be with you. And he shows them that he isn't isn't just a mere ghost or a spirit or a delusion. No, he is a resurrected body. That's why he shows them his hands inside And they rejoice because they rejoice because he's actually alive. 
This is the peace that Jesus promised again and again. If you go to John chapter 14, you see this, this peace that he promised, that he told would come about. John 14, verse 25. This is all Jesus is preparing them for his going to Jerusalem and, and how they're going to crucify him. And he's preparing them for his resurrection and, and ascension and the Holy Spirit will be sent. He told them these things. So John chapter 14, starting at verse 25. This is Jesus speaking. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. John 14, verse 27 Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's it. This is all this preparation, all this teaching of this vital necessity of how to go from verse 19 of fear to verses 21, 22, 23, sent by Christ to proclaim the gospel, filled with the Holy Spirit and pronouncing the gospel of repentance and forgiveness for those who trust and believe in Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of believers as ministers of reconciliation. If you continue on in John, go to John chapter 16. Jesus, again, is teaching this vital necessity of what it is to have this peace and joy that is beyond any fear, any suffering, any persecution, any hardship of this earth. John 16, verse 22. And he's preparing them for that, that time of grief and sorrow and fear they're going to experience. John 16, 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. That's what they thought had taken place when Jesus was crucified, when they died, they thought their joy, their peace, their hope, everything that they sought in Jesus Christ was taken from them. But Jesus is making clear that when they see the resurrected Jesus Christ before them, the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords, <laughs> ain't no one going to take the joy from anymore. Who can take that joy from you? That's what he's describing here. And that's what we see being fulfilled in John 20. Again, John 16, verse 27 for the Father himself loves you. And that's the center of the promise of the gospel for those who have sincere repentance and true faith in Jesus Christ. That where because of our sins and death, our trespasses, the wages of sin is death, in our state of sin and rebellion against God, 
we are under God's holy, just wrath and condemnation. But to trust and believe that Jesus Christ died for you, that he paid the penalty of sins, that he satisfied the wrath, that his blood has covered you, you have went from condemnation to being loved by your heavenly father. You're adopted. You're an adopted child, loved, precious, and cared for. That's verse 27. For the father himself loves you. Why? Because you have loved me. This is Jesus speaking. To love Christ, to believe in Christ, is to receive the love of your heavenly father. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This is a very important verse. Verse 33 is the key verse to understand what takes place in John 20. Let me read again for you. John 16, verse 33. This is Jesus speaking. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In Christ. In the resurrected, eternal, ascended interceding on behalf of those who belong to his heavenly father who's in whom his spirit dwells and returning again. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And that's why Jesus comes into the locked room where his apostles and, and the others who are following, they had no peace because in their understanding, Christ was gone. And he was the only source of their peace. That's why, again, he's reminding them. That's why when he comes into the room, he says, peace be with you. (laughs) Now that they know that he's alive, that peace is theirs forever. It's eternal peace because Christ has brought about an eternal redemption through the eternal spirit. That's the glorious reality of Christ. So again, John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. That's a very important teaching. Very important. The reason we find ourselves at times in the struggles of doubt or fear <clears throat> is because we find ourselves in our weak flesh in this fallen world. Again, falling in the same old delusions that we can find peace or satisfaction or pleasure or joy in the things of this fallen world rather than Christ. And Jesus reminding us here in the world is nothing but tribulation. The only place where one can find peace, love, joy, hope is in Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. 
And where do we find our hope at the end of verse 33? But take heart, I have overcome the world. There it again. That's the source of the peace. I'm very grateful Jesus didn't say, in me you will have peace, in the world you will have tribulation, and you will keep my peace if you overcome the world. In your strength, in your strategy, in your five easy steps, in whatever plans or fads or things you come up with, I hope you make it. That isn't what Jesus says. As if that was the truth, none of us are going to make it. No, this is the reality. Again, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I, this is Jesus Christ, I have overcome the world. See, that's the victory. That's where our strength is. That's where our hope is. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3 that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. Fix our hearts on Jesus Christ. Fix our minds on Jesus Christ. Paul even goes so far to say the only life that he has is in Jesus Christ. That's what it is to have peace, no matter what the persecution, challenge, pain, tribulation, or difficulty we face. Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. Risen. We see where Paul speaks of that in 2 Thessalonians 3. You have this beautiful statement in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 16, where Paul gives this blessing. And this blessing is, is, is for us who are in Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3, 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. Wow, that covers all times in every way. See, that's where are we going to find peace? Well, there's only one, one place. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. So that's, that's our peace. That's our joy. That's our hope. And that's why in John 20, Jesus comes, he appears to them, and he says, peace be with you. And they rejoice they rejoice because he has overcome the world he has overcome the devil he has overcome the pilot overcome the jews he's overcome everything of creation he's overcome death he has defeated everything in opposition to god on behalf of the children of god the church So in verse 21, Jesus again begins with peace be with you because now that fear is overcome through his victory, now we get the reason any of us are continuing alive on this heaven and earth as a Christian. So here it is. If you are here and you're alive and if you're a Christian, it's verses 21, 22, 23. So this is it. This is your life in Christ. So this is it. So verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. 
As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I am sending you. And what's important to remember is Jesus is speaking this to those who are in the upper room. It isn't just the apostles in the upper room. That's one thing you have to realize. When Pentecost comes, remember Jesus tells them to wait until the Spirit comes. And we find in Pentecost, there are 72 people in that upper room. You have the apostles, you have other followers, you have most likely Mary Magdalene, the women that followed you. You have the church in that upper room. So this sending is for those who are in Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us are to be equipped for ministry to be about these vital realities in the ways that God brings about. So again, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. We see this as a fulfillment of Jesus' prayer in John 17. So if you go to John 17, you see where this sending is what Jesus prayed for and what, what he's declaring to the believers. John 17, verse 13. This is Jesus praying to his heavenly Father. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then Jesus has this very interesting request, verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify. So remember, sanctify means to make holy, to set apart. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is Truth. There it is. That's it. That's what the church is sanctified in. The truth. Know the truth and the truth will set you free. All that the world, all that the devil, the demonic, the powers and principalities of the air, all that the fallen flesh wants to do is lie, kill, steal, and destroy. And it hates the truth. Hates the truth. Because the truth is a light shining and exposing the darkness. So the darkness is always trying to put out the light. It's, that's all the world, the devil, and those remain in bondage to their old fallen flesh. That's all they want to do. So the truth is what sets free. So verse 17 of John 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And that's where we find in John 20, Jesus giving that commission. The sending. Not only of the apostles and and teachers and 
elders and pastors and, and deacons, and, and that, but, but every believer is to proclaim the gospel, is in that regard to be salt and to light and to lift up the truth of the gospel. Because every one of us, God brings into our lives those who do not know him. Those who are broken, lost, hurting, and in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we are sent. We are sent. We see this again and again, this sending. It's, it's how every gospel portrays this commission by Jesus. If you go to Mark 16, verse 15, you have where Jesus, it, it's captured there in Mark. Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. There you go. If you wonder, who should I share the gospel with? Well, are they breathing? See, the boys and I, just we just did this wilderness first aid course. And one of the first things you do when someone's injured, you come on the scene, is you check their vitals. You know, so A, B, C, D, E. So airway, breathing, circulation. So that's your first three. So you come in. So I encourage you to do the same. If God gives you opportunity and they're breathing and they have a pulse, then share the gospel with them. I mean, that, that's what the whole creation, that's what it's saying. You, you, you proclaim. So you do a little triage. You make sure that they're viable, meaning they're alive, and you preach the gospel to them. They may not even be conscious. You preach the gospel. So you just, you're preaching the gospel because that's what we have laid out here. Because that's the only hope for anyone. It's the only peace for anyone. It's the only life for anyone. It's, it's to trust and believe in the gospel. So that's, that's everything. That's everything. That's what this sending is about. Again, Matthew 28. Where Matthew 28 captures it. Matthew 28, starting at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. His spirit dwelling within on this heaven and earth. He's always with us. That's how we can have peace. That's how we, we, we can not fear. Because Christ is with us. So that's the first of these three vital realities. The first one in verse 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That's the first of this vital reality. The second is verse 22. And when he said these things, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is this beautiful imagery that we have in John. The Spirit will not come until Acts chapter 2, when you have 
the spirit come down like like flames on the people and they're they're speaking in tongues and people from every nation on the earth, the Jews spread throughout the world, come and they hear them speaking in their own language and and, and you have that powerful moment. 3,000 come to the Lord and are baptized and, and the church begins to grow and thrive. That's Acts chapter two. But what Jesus is doing here is he breathes on them. Remember the significance of that. Remember, we are dirt, animated dirt. That's, that's what we are. So remember when God takes the, the earth and he forms the man, and what does he do to bring about life? He breathes into him. So here's this beautiful depiction of Jesus speaking of the new birth, the second birth of the Holy Spirit. And that's vital because he's sending them not in their strength, not according to their strategy or their wisdom. No, he's sending them in the power of the Holy Spirit to remind them of his word, for his word is truth. So already we found some these vital promises and beautiful truths But you can always already see from these verses some of the issues we face. Some of the issues we face in the visible church are there are people going about who haven't been sent by Christ. And there are people going about proclaiming false gospels and false teachings and doing false things because they don't have the Holy Spirit. So the importance here is being sent by Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, for the purpose of, that's verse 23, the one true gospel. There's one gospel. So here's verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That's a very powerful statement. Again, verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I have to hold to and believe the the long-standing, historic, orthodox Reform biblical position on this of what is being spoken of here is the proclamation of the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel. And how I understand that is, again, if you go to Mark 16, we'll see the parallel statements to this and see what's being represented here. Mark 16, again, starting at verse 15. I already read 15, but now I'm going to read 15 and 16. 16, I think, helps us understand our passage in John. So Mark 16, starting at verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel in the whole creation. Verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. 
condemned. Remember, that's what Jesus said in John 3. John chapter 3, Jesus said that he did not come. He's talking about his first coming when he came and took on flesh in the virgin's womb. So the, the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus says that he did not come in his first coming to judge the world. That, that wasn't the purpose of his first coming. Why? Because he says the world's already under condemnation and wrath. It's, it's already under judgment. It's already under God's condemnation and wrath. That's given because the wages of sin is death. And every human being is conceived and born in sin under condemnation and wrath unless Christ dies for them, unless the Holy Spirit gives them the gifts of repentance and faith, unless they are called and drawn and born again to the Holy Spirit. So that's why I see Jesus speaking here about the gospel. Again, Mark 16, verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And what helps me is to see how the apostles carried this out. So there are two beautiful passages, one Peter and one Paul. And I think this is them showing how to correctly understand verse 23. So the first one is Acts 10, and the second one will be Acts 13. So first, Peter. How does Peter live out the truth of verse 23? It's Acts 10, starting at verse 42. So here's how Peter shows us the fulfillment of this. What does verse 23 mean? So first we have Peter, Acts 10, verse 42. So this is Peter. He's at Cornelius' house, a Gentile's house. He's, he's still a bit horrified, but he's believing that God has a purpose and plan here. So he's, he knows now God shows no partiality. This is quite a process for Peter. He's even got, at some point going to revert to his old ways, and Paul's going to have to call him out. I mean, it's a, it's a work in process. As all of us, this is called sanctification. It's a process. But here's Peter. He's at Cornelius' house, verse 42. So here's Peter speaking. And he, the he is Jesus. So he's pointing back to this passage, John 20 and other ones, where Jesus commands them to go. So Acts 10, 42. And he, being Jesus, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Ah, that's the second coming. Remember, that's what takes place as the second coming. Jesus returns, and that's when the judgment. That's the judgment. So again, verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's it. Remember earlier in Acts, Peter said there's only one name 
given under heaven, in which that if you believe and trust in, you will be saved. One name, and that's Jesus, the Emmanuel, the Christ, the Savior, the King, the prophet, the high priest. It's Jesus, that name, the eternally begotten Son of God. And that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So that's Peter. Now, if you go to Acts 13, you have Paul. So here's how Paul is going to do the same thing in proclaiming the gospel. Because that's what I believe is what is being stated in in verse 23. When Jesus says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I think that's first and foremost about the proclamation of the gospel. Because in the proclamation of the gospel, that is what you are telling people. If you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you repent of your sins and trust in him alone as your righteousness, your Savior, the one who paid the penalty of your sins and satisfied God's wrath, you are forgiven justified, made right, loved. That's what you're saying. But you're not only saying that. You also say this when you share the gospel. If you do not trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as the eternally begotten Son of God, as the one to save you. If you don't trust and believe and have faith in that, you are not forgiven. You're under condemnation. You're under wrath. That's the gospel. It's the glorious good news of salvation in Jesus Christ and the warning of eternal conscious torment of hell. That's the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified. So this is how Paul does it. Acts 13, verse 38. So now here's Paul, very similar to Peter, because there's one gospel. Very similar. (laughs) Repent and believe and you are forgiven. So Acts 13, verse 38. Let it be known to you Therefore, brothers, that through this man, speaking of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That's literally how Paul refers to the gospel as the proclamation of forgiveness of sins. Because that's first and foremost the issue every person has. We are under condemnation and wrath. So what's the one solution to that problem? Forgiveness. Faith alone in Christ alone by God's grace alone. So again, Acts 13, 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Not only forgiveness... But ultimately, what does forgiveness represent? Freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from condemnation, freedom from wrath, freedom from 
just judgment, eternal conscious torment of hell, freedom from those things into eternal life, eternal peace, eternal love, eternal joy. And Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said these things, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now we understand that in Matthew 16, Matthew 18, it talks about the the keys of the kingdom of heaven and and binding and loosing. And and we understand the the precedence of church discipline. Remember what church discipline is. Church discipline is for the purpose of praying for, seeking, and loving one enough to, as Paul says, to hand them over, to deliver them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So we do understand the the principle and, uh, and the clear reality of church discipline. But ultimately, forgiveness rests in the gospel. Do you repent of your sins? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you do, peace be with you. If you don't, I pray that you have no peace until you know the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how amazing you are that you would send your son, Jesus Christ, that he would die for the elect while we were yet sinners. And Father, how amazing it is that you would save and that you would empower with your Holy Spirit and that you would send your adopted children to proclaim the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would send us, that you would continue to empower us through the Holy Spirit and that you would help us to proclaim that there is forgiveness found in and only in Jesus Christ. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Well, I invite you to please rise and sing with me number 496. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art i
Let's receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I invite you to close with me with the doxology. Praise God.